This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come and be strong in all of our weakness. We pray that you would meet us, that you would give us your word and your truth. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. So many of you already know, but we, uh, I am pregnant. And um, if not, there you go, I am. And pregnancy, um, I don't just bring that up to announce it. I bring it up because it's a great metaphor for us this morning. Um, because pregnancy is marked by waiting. Each week, we count the time in our family until 40 weeks, which is in November. So every Saturday, it kind of clicks over week 27, week 28. All of our life is oriented around this future event, this advent of this baby coming to our home. We're waiting, and it sometimes feels long. It sometimes doesn't, but most of the time it pretty much feels long to me. And we aren't just waiting, we're watching. We're looking out for signs. We're looking for my belly growing and getting bigger. We feel kick, I feel, I said we. Well, they sometimes feel kicks coming, and we count them, and it's a sign of what's to come. And whether or not you're pregnant this morning, as Christians, we're all kind of waiting and watching. We're sort of collectively pregnant. In fact, all creation groans in the pains of childbirth. We're all waiting for something to be born together. The entire posture, the entire posture of the Christian life is about watching and waiting swaths, huge swaths of scripture, like I told the kids this morning, are about watching and waiting. Abraham had to wait for his son, and he did it impatiently and very imperfectly. The Israelites had to wait for generations and generations to be delivered from slavery. They waited for the promised land, and then they waited in exile. They waited for the coming Messiah. This morning, all of our scripture passages, each every one of the four has this theme of watching and waiting. It's a silver thread that kind of ties them all together. In our Old Testament passage, God makes a promise to Abraham. And Abraham says, but I don't have a son. I don't have an heir to receive this promise. And God says, I'll give you a son. Just wait. Just wait. And he had to wait, like I told the kids, 25 years for a son after that promise. And I wonder how he felt when the years stretched on and on and nothing was happening. God gives a promise and then he doesn't seem to be in a hurry to fulfill it at all. The Psalms that we read proclaim we wait in hope for the Lord or we have waited in hope for the Lord. We trust in him and we wait. Our Hebrews passage gives us this list of people who waited on God in faith. And verse 13 says they were still waiting when they died. They didn't 
even live to see what they were most longing for. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They saw signs. They saw them distantly. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, they had seen glimpses, but they were waiting. And then our gospel passage calls us to wait like servants waiting for their master. To wait, and not just wait, but to watch, to be ready for action, clothed for action. We too, here this morning, together, are all waiting. We have seen the kingdom come in Jesus and in the resurrection, but we live in what theologians call the already and the not yet. We're in this middle space, this meantime. We watch and we wait. We, like those in exile, have heard the promises of God. We have seen God in the flesh come among us in the person of Jesus. And yet, we wait here in a place, for many of us, of pain. For all of us, a place of vulnerability. And for all of us, to one extent or another, a place of suffering and grief and loss. This place doesn't quite feel at home. It feels uncomfortable. But we watch, just as Abraham and the Israelites did, however imperfectly and impatiently, we stay on the lookout, watching for our exile to end and for sin, the source of all exile, to be undone and to be done in for good. We must learn this posture and practice and discipline even of watching and waiting and longing. We are waiting for God to come and set things right, to bring justice, to bring hope, to bring all things in perfect order with him as the head. We are coming to watch and wait we are waiting and watching for God to set things right. And this isn't just sort of a passive kind of waiting, you know, like you do when you're bored, waiting at like the DMV. We, to, as a Christian, to wait is to watch. It, it implies more than just kind of waiting around. It implies longing and hope and attention even and yearning. To watch is the guard at the door, like a watchman, right? But it's also a lover with like flowers in hand, going through a crowd in an airport, looking at every face, searching, waiting for who they most love, who they're waiting for. It's also a mother, like on alert for the first signs of labor. It's also a friend pacing outside of an operating room, waiting for news. It's the sense of heightened attention. We are to watch and wait attentively for Christ to come. And this doesn't mean I need to say that we need to be like really obsessed with the end times. I mean, I know people like that. I grew up Baptist in the South. And I mention this because this sometimes happens in our culture. A few years back, everyone kind of got swept up in this like left behind craze. 
And um, some churches have almost kind of an unhealthy focus on the end times, but I don't mean that we're waiting for the rapture or for what's described in those books. We're waiting for Jesus to come back with the full expectation he will and bring his kingdom fully on this earth. A way for redemption to come now that we're glimpsing that will be fulfilled when Jesus comes. We see glimpses of it now. We see it in the distance. But we're waiting for the culmination of history in the person of Christ returning. The psalmist saying, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. It's repeated. He's yearning, waiting. The posture of the believer is kind of to always slightly be leaning forward. I want that to be kind of how we live our lives, leaning forward in anticipation of what's God going to do. How's he going to show up and work? We wait for God to act and to show up, whether that looks really shocking and miraculous, which it sometimes does, or whether that's in really quiet and ordinary ways. In our suffering, we wait for God to bring hope and healing in in sickness. We pray for the sick, waiting for God to heal them. We wait for God to bring peace and conflict and encouragement and and disappointment, to bring clarity when we're confused or befuddled. And sometimes he does. God does that. He shows up and brings healing and brings resolution and brings peace. And sometimes the sick die. And sometimes the conflict worsens and disappointment deepens and confusion thickens. And yet we continue, even in that moment, to watch and wait. Because we know that this moment that we can see, it's this sort of little circle of light from the lamp that we've got that is our life is not the whole road. It's not the whole story. So make no mistake this morning, the Christian faith is unapologetically earthy. It's made of, we love things like water that we'll see in baptism and wine and bread. But our ultimate hope is Jesus coming again. It's in some sense avoidably otherworldly, although as Grant pointed out, it's a very worldly otherworldliness, right? That we are wanting to come, we're wanting Jesus to come and establish his kingdom here on earth. The mystery of faith that we proclaim week by week by week is that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We say that during the Eucharist. Why do we say it every week? Why not just once in a while? Because we say this every week because every week we're waiting. Every week we're proclaiming this mystery again. We're here again and we're watching together for redemption. And honestly, (coughs) this can be embarrassing for those of us who, like myself, tend... Hold on. Wait. Um, (laughs) tend to dwell in what Charles Taylor called the imminent frame, 
The imminent frame is this idea that the earthly life is the main thing going. It's the biggest game in town. That what we can taste and smell and see right now is all there is. That's all there's going to be. That this life is the only one we got. YOLO. And we can focus on this worldly promises of the spiritual life. Um, and, and these are not bad things. I have kind of been trained through like sophistication and education to focus a lot on this world. And even this worldly promises of the Christian life, like community and seeking justice, discovering truth, practices of spiritual formation. And all of these are really, really good. They're needed and important things. But if that's all there is to Christianity, if it's just about what we're establishing here, it's mostly a waste of time. And it's at worst kind of oppressive and malicious. The promises of God to make all things new and to set all things right and to mend the deep down brokenness of the world do begin to be fulfilled in the here and now, but they are not made complete until we break out of time itself, or more accurately, till God breaks in to the imminent frame, bearing eternity in his wake and establishing permanently the gloriousness of his kingdom on earth. That is our hope. And if that's not real, then we're all sort of wasting our time. It's this scandalously, uncomfortably hope in something to come. Though we continue to live these really important and meaningful lives on earth, and our lives are important and meaningful, we, our hope is ultimately in heaven, in the new heavens, a new earth, and not that we'll like fly away and eat pie in the sky, which is a, a phrase I hear a lot. And I feel like it's too critical because in the new heavens and new earth, I really do want to eat pie. But that heaven, with all its reality and mystery, with its depth and dimension and justice and truth and righteousness, will flood this earthly world that decaying bodies really will be raised up with warmth and new skin mysteriously, and we will worship together with Jesus as our light. And maybe we'll eat pie together too. Right here on earth as those reborn, and that we will see our Lord face to face. This is our hope. Christians believe this sort of cosmic reordering of the world has already begun. We've seen a snapshot of it already in the resurrection of Christ. So though we're looking forward to the future and to Jesus coming, that hope is rooted in something that's already happened. The way we can endure this not yet is because of the already. Because it's not some kind of wishful thinking or leap of faith that Jesus will set things right, but we claim that this is based on this historical fact of the resurrection. We've seen a glimpse of it. And N.T. Wright points out that this passage of, that we read this morning about standing in attention, being ready for the master to come, is often 
preached on like this about the coming of Jesus, and that's not inappropriate, but that it's also about, maybe even mostly about, Jesus telling his disciples about events that would happen in their own lifetime. He was talking to them about the cosmic battle that was coming between forces of darkness and forces of light that would happen in Jesus' life through his life and death and resurrection. He was saying, get ready, guys. Don't just kind of take your ease. Don't just chill. Don't think that things will be a breeze for you because you're my disciple. Get ready for hardship. Get ready for a spiritual battle. He's calling his disciples to a sense of urgency like these servants in the parable have. We can embrace a posture and practice of watching and waiting, even in suffering and grief and vulnerability, because we're waiting for the dawn to come more than the watchman waits for the morning. And we have hope and confidence that it will because we have glimpsed it. We have seen it in the person of Christ. The things we wait for are not just religious delusion. They're not just wishful thinking or kind of a leap in the dark. They're as concrete as a stone rolled away. So, brass tacks. How can we practice this posture of readiness now, watching and waiting now? First, like I said with the kids this morning, we have to practice waiting. Our culture is kind of this drive-through culture. We want things quick and we want them now. We don't want to have to wait for anything, especially not God. Come on, he's all powerful. Hurry up already, right? We want God to fix things now. We want our lives to be as we want them now. We want things to be set right and we kind of want to drive through and order our latte and our redemption and it be ours in 60 seconds, right? We're trained to have our needs met immediately. When my computer takes just like even seconds more than I'm used to, I go, this is taking forever. I'm so impatient. I'm trained towards impatience. <clears throat> this week, Jonathan and I got stuck in traffic on our way. We were to, going to a kid's birthday party, and we got stuck in this um, pregame, preseason traffic. And it was terrible. <clears throat> and we were there for a long time. And at one point, Jonathan turned to me and said, this traffic makes me despair of everything that I'm doing with my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> we despair so easily. We are so, um, we're so discipled into impatience, into not waiting. I was writing in my last book about um, waiting and the importance of waiting in the Christian life. And as I was actually writing that chapter, I was getting so frustrated with how long it took my tea kettle to boil tea that I went out and bought an electric kettle so I could cut the time in half. As I was writing, and I wrote, how can I wait for the kingdom to come when I can't wait for water to boil? And all of these are silly examples, but we're waiting for bigger things, too. We're waiting for healing. We're waiting for our children to return, sometimes from faraway places. We're waiting for redemption. And it's hard to wait. 
We have to intentionally enter into practices that teach us to slow down. Practices like solitude and silent prayer, intentionally saying no to busyness and hurriedness, to learning practices of waiting. Try to practice waiting so that we can remember to wait for the coming kingdom. Tilhard de Chardin said, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We have to learn to trust in the slow work of God. And we have to learn to practice that and take that up through practices. All right, number two, we have to practice waiting, and we have to practice waiting inside of our story. Waiting is not comfortable, and any kid waiting for Christmas will tell you, or any mother waiting for a baby, I will tell you this is not comfortable. Anyone who's been um, having, like, sat in a line for a long time, you know that's not comfortable. We went last week to Niagara Falls, and it was amazing and beautiful, but the worst part was waiting in these long lines to get into things in the sun, and it was, it got really old and really uncomfortable quickly. Life, this waiting and watching, it's not a piece of cake. And the only way we can endure this living in the not yet, of the already not yet, is to locate our small lives, our moment, and our pain, and our suffering in this much, much bigger story of God's work of redemption in the world. The only way we can endure this is to locate ourselves in this much bigger story of God's slow work of redemption of all things. We have to live our life now in light of the resurrection. And we have to intentionally make this story, the Christian story, the most shaping force of our life. Mike Cosper has a great book called Recapturing the Wonder that I recommend. And he says in it, Christians and non-Christians alike are disenchanted. This is what I'm talking about. We're sort of discipled to live as if now is all there is. Because we're all immersed in a world that presents a material understanding of reality as the plausible and grown-up way of thinking. This is how grown-ups think, right? We're told again and again from both the right and the left that this is all there is. That our only hope is politics or getting a lot of money or success in our job or having a nice family or staying alive. That this is all we've got. And Cosper goes on to say, to come to live in the kingdom of God or to seek to live in a world other than our disenchanted milieu requires a wholesale reordering of our habits and commitments. A wholesale reordering of our habits and commitments. Our life has to be shaped by this different story. As we are discipled by our culture to not wait because this is all there is, this is all we got, we have to learn practices that shape our lives by this greater and bigger story, the story of Jesus. So there's lots and lots of ways to do this. I talked to the kids about some of them, prayer, worship, scripture. Here's one small way that we do this as a church. We have to let ourselves together yearn and long for a better world. Do not accept 
stoically, that things are the way they are meant to be. We are not supposed to live in a world where a white supremacist can kill 22 people in a Walmart. We aren't supposed to live in a world where someone can walk into a club and shoot it up. We aren't supposed to live in a world where violence and death are a threat at all. We aren't to live in a world where children are separated from their parents. We aren't to live in a world of suffering and conflict and pain and sin. Things are not the way they are meant to be. And we as a church have to say that. We have to proclaim that. We have to witness to the fact that this isn't how things are supposed to be, and this is not how things ultimately will be. And we have to constantly look forward to when the master comes to set things right. And this doesn't make us passive. This doesn't bring us into passivity or doing nothing or rejecting politics or not seeking justice or any of that. But we're called to work toward the kingdom coming now. Jesus has already established his new people here on earth. That's us, his church. And we together need to work to become a community where violence is defeated, where the weak and the vulnerable and the outsiders are welcomed and cared for, where we practice living into the resurrected life. We practice resurrection, as Eugene Peterson said, And we can do that because we're absolutely sure that the master is coming. And so we're not wasting our time. We're not wasting our time seeking justice or seeking goodness, loving others, because the master is coming. And we're not just sort of taking our ease and taking it easy and trying to get as comfortable as we can as we endure this world. We're working to ready the world for the coming of Jesus. We're working to get this world ready for the master coming. What a great and glorious vocation that is for each one of us to ready the world for Jesus. Lastly, okay, we wait for God. We wait in a story and we learn to watch for God with a sense of urgency. God is at work in the world even today He's bringing people to himself. He's fighting against the principalities and powers of racism and white supremacy and injustice. He's bringing the gospel of peace to the ends of the earth. And we get to glimpse that today with baptism. We see how God is continuing to work, even now, in our midst. And so we look with attentiveness. We watch out for Jesus. I talked in the first service, and I'll just mention briefly, we talked about bird watchers and how they are always on the lookout. They're always looking for what's around, some of them kind of crazily so. And I think that sense of urgency, that sense of attentiveness is something that we can mimic, that we're called into. We need to have a sense of urgency about watching for where God is at work in your life. Where is God at work in the world? Where is redemption coming that we can join him? Where can we ready this world? We believe that Jesus has, has, and will set all things right. So we live our lives with a sense of urgency, looking for and watching how God is at work. We're living with our eyes really wide open 
looking for redemption in the world. And we're looking to Jesus to hear his song, reminding us that new life is coming to earth. Jesus is at work today in the present tense, even in our midst. And we can take up with intensity and with watching and with earnestness the practice of seeking the ways that God is at work. Through prayer and through worship, through the word and sacrament, we're training our eyes to see light in the darkness. So, this morning our call is to watch for Jesus, to watch for his coming again, and to watch for how he's at work today. We will continue each week to proclaim this mystery, and we want our whole lives to be wrapped up in this mystery, even our ordinary day. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We wait and we watch for that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.